Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. As always, I am Justin, and I am joined by... New apartment, new Beth. Frumious Sam. Say, Ixon Caleb. Hello, Caleb. What was that today? It was high Valyrian. Look, I'm running low, guys. I, I'm really <laughs> stretching it thin here. You gotta find three more. <laughs> I know. Mm-hmm. And now that I've diverted into the conlangs, I feel like I gotta stick with that to the end. So now I have to come up with more. Oh, God. In our last episode, we, we left on the cliffhanger of, is Braille a language? <laughs> we did. Discuss. <laughs> we'll figure out by the end of the book. All of our questions will be answered. That'd be a good poll. A, a good, strange, a completely unrelated to the book <laughs> poll. Making a note. Which is wild because this podcast always stays on topic at all times. So oh, hieroglyphics really, a language. Really stressing <laughs> it here. Laser focused. Laser focused. Let's get let's let's get into it, you know? <laughs> Tensu. I don't know why you're rushing. There's not too much to get into this section. It was really quite chill. Yeah, there's not much going on. I'm very proud of myself for bringing up Berserk last time, and I think I I, I only talked about it for like a minute. Like that's I was holding myself back there. I'm just disappointed that there's not an entire chapter set in a pitch black room this time. <laughs> How dare we see? Yeah, we have visual depictions the entire time. The whole time. <laughs> All right, yeah, we do have uh, quite a bit to cover, so I wanna I wanna get started with it because uh, we are we've lined ourselves up here with this episode uh, finishing up part four uh, with some. Uh, some plot arcs that seem pretty uh pretty drastically concluded like we get some some very good payoffs here uh and then setting us up for for part five for our final three episodes uh one long sanderlanch basically <laughs> so so here we go yeah uh, but right before that we get a uh a bit of an oddly paced uh epigraph here starting off chapter 52 where we're starting today uh it's a bit of a kind of a diversion to talking back about what the Lord Ruler had tried to actually do for the planet uh, with you know, talking about how how the ash falls work and how, yes, there was ash, but there were there were plants and there were microbes that could break the ash down. Uh, and the the relevance here is that as we are approaching uh, what everybody seems to think of as the end of the world, uh, that system is now starting to collapse as well, and there is just more and more ash accumulating. Too much ash. Uh, the This concept has been talked about, I think, both in and maybe not out of the epigraphs. I don't know if anybody <laughs> has uh, omniscience yet, uh, <laughs> but um, it's interesting that this is like elaborated on now. Possibly because we're about to go into Luthadel, which is Ashburyed. The town of Ashbury. <laughs> the town of Ashbury is buried in ash. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it's been discussed in such scientific detail. All we've gotten so far is, man, there's a lot of ash, huh? That sucks. <laughs> um, so it is nice to get this omniscience, as it were, from the epigraph writer and be like, here's what the microbes were doing. 
The microbes. We, we need to be careful about saying the word omniscient, though, because there have been, I wouldn't say frustrating, but a surprising amount of times in which the epigraph writer, despite having a lot of answers, goes, yeah, I don't even really know what the deal with that thing is. Mm-hmm. That's true. So, yeah, we, we get kind of some insight on the, uh, the state of the world right now. Uh, but, yeah as to like how much the the writer actually does know for certain it it has been kind of back and forth on that into uh, chapter 52 itself uh, we are back with ten soon which is good to see Uh, and he has uh, in the meantime he has made the journey uh, from the the chondra homeland Uh, he's gone to luthadel he's trying to find vin and this is as good of a place as any to start looking uh, but the world has changed significantly since he last saw the outside world, and there's there's some learning to to do there. Surely Vin and Ellen wouldn't have let this happen. Yeah, there's there's a lot of Tensoon knowing the world is bad, but then he actually sees it. He's like, "Oh man, I really thought it'd still be better than this." Mm-hmm. But he is as he's trying to get a sense of what's going on in Luthadel. This is also the first time that we've seen the city proper. Uh, aside from a glimpse or two, basically all book. Uh, so we also get to kind of see what the state of things are. And apparently it's not good. Uh, he gets to do a... Uh, this is a very, like, stealth mission eavesdrop where you, you've found the place where you can hide where these two guards will now talk to each other that you can hear them. <laughs> Tensoon is sitting on a bench nearby. <laughs> yeah, at least in this one, they're not moving around. You just have to find the one spot and then you're good. You get the information. <laughs> But the things that we we learn from them uh, is that uh, King Penrod, who we last saw getting stabbed by Marsh, uh, has not been treating the city well, apparently, in this this glimpse here. So that's a little worrying. Just the way they phrase it, though. Are we safe from the king? Yeah, everything else going on, you'd hope that that would be something you could count on. But not only is the king not providing safety, but apparently you need to worry about being safe from the king. And then the king has the emperor's authority. I love Tenzu being like, who's this asshole emperor walking around? Right. What's that about? <laughs> Straff. The dramatic irony, Tenzu doesn't know this. I, I kind of love how much dramatic irony there is going on here. Like, I, I don't know why I find it so charming that Tenzu is just fully in the wrong place because mm-hmm. I feel like it would have been much more there was a version of this story where it would have been much more convenient for him to be like and I overheard in passing and I got to Vin and Ellen right away so to have him just be like I guess I'll try Luthadel no okay cool I find that funny mm-hmm. uh, yeah and I was a little bit worried about that when the chapter ended on he's going to find Vin like my first question was like how is he going to find Vin? And I appreciate that the answer is not well. He's not yeah. going to find Vin very, very successfully. But the other thing that we get while Tensoon is is looking around the city uh, is we get some time for him to think about the way that he has come to be in this place. Uh, and it's it's a very interesting look at kind of the other side of some things that we've seen before uh, about his him working with Zane and with the the um the ventures and 
him taking the place of Orsur, which is the first time that we've actually heard like how that went down. And then how his relationship with Vin built up to the point where this is the thing that he is is risking quite a bit for. You know, the, the world is ending and he has decided, I need to go find Vin. Gotta find the new father. Yeah, no, he has uh, theological backing behind this in, in his mind. But uh, the the thing that he has decided that he can do... Um, is uh he's you know he's back in Luthadel he's thinking about uh the um what had what he had to do to to take Orser's place uh but some of the information that he got from Orser uh was the the parts of the plan that we saw back all the way back in Final Empire uh with with Orser's point in the plan uh and so Tensoon has now gone to retrieve uh, Kelsier's bones. Once again, these are going to be uh, making an appearance here. It is mentioned he'd only seen the survivor once. Do we know when that was? Or do we just kind of have to assume that he saw him flying around sometime in Luthadel? I think it's quite possible that uh, Tensoon was at the, um, the, the executions where Kelsier fought the Lord Ruler. Okay. But I don't think we know for certain. That's just me speculating. Fair enough. When he was digging up the bones, I was like, if he's going to, like... I know he's very good at imitation, but if he's only gotten descriptions of what Kelsier looks like, that's a little bit of a stretch. So at the very least, the detail of he had seen him once, I was like, all right, okay, I can buy that. But it is going to be a, a tricky one here. He, You know, he acknowledges uh, you know, there's no there's no hair, so that won't be right. Uh, he's he's got a, a description, uh, a, a memory of seeing him once, uh, but Tensoon is pretty good at this, and so he's he's going to give it a try. So we make a uh, a dramatic cut from there to see this scene from from the other perspective. Then, uh, as we here we have Wellen, uh, once again uh, Brandon's good friend Dan Wells making an appearance here. Even gets called Wells by one of the other guards. We thought he was dead. We did yeah. think he was dead. Check the tapes. I believe I was the only one who didn't think he was dead. <laughs> yeah, it's been... Uh, how long has it been since we saw Wellen? End of... Like, end, end issue of Well of Ascension? Yeah. Uh, it was... Yeah. Was he... It was either, like, when they were going to Penrod's place or when they were... When Vin was attacking Set. I could... He was in Set's retinue. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We saw him in a field of 40 corpses, and then we 40, never saw him again. 40 ghost boys. <laughs> so yeah, Guy's, uh, Guy's seen some stuff, and now he's seeing uh, Kelsier back from the dead again. That was, that was like the best part of the chapter, is him seeing a very scary Mistborn come out of the mists, and he goes, not again! <laughs> yeah, but this is... Uh... Yeah, Tensoon is really having to to stretch his uh, his imitation skills to the limit here, not only with the the visual depiction where he has made himself suitably uh, cloaked and and mysterious to help the disguise, uh, but he's also like, how would Kelsier react to the current events, and how much would he know, like 
is this a ghost? Is this Kelsier has been alive the whole time and has known the, these things? Like, Tensoon's really thinking on his feet here. Yeah, it's not too much played for laughs here, but I always find it a funny trope of person trying to blend in asks questions about things they should definitely already know, but then they try to play it off as like, mm-hmm. uh, of course, yes, thank you for just saying what I already knew, just confirming you were also in on it, just good to know, just checking. Um, and there's 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 quite a bit of that in this conversation that I enjoy. Yeah, we've talked a lot about the juxtaposition between Kelsier as we, the reader, knew him, and Kelsier as a divine being, and how juicy that juxtaposition is. And seeing it kind of twisted where it's like Tensoon just trying desperately to keep the charade up while giving these people these deep religious experiences is very funny. Like on on the top of page 487, we're like a group of, of ska find him in front of like one of the more holy sites in the city. And Tensoon's first thought is, uh oh, <laughs> hides bones behind him. Yeah, that was the image of that was amazing. Like, uh, yeah, so don't don't look over here. Yeah, what's going on, guys? <laughs> Just shuffling it with his feet. <laughs> but he does manage to get the the information that he is looking for in specific, uh, which is that where uh, where Vin is, uh, and so uh, at the the end of of that scene, uh, before he leaves the guards, uh, he he has a place to go. He does impart some uh, some specific advice, uh, which is that when the mists leave, uh, they need to shelter underground. Kind of bearing the lead on the dramatic irony there, but he thinks he gets the information he needs. He is told she probably went to Erto, and he goes, awesome. Well, yes. <laughs> Going that way. Here we go. Mm-hmm. Erto bound, baby. Uh, yeah, so then we we do get the, um, as he's trying to wrap up his work here, uh, we get some, uh, yeah, the uh, kind of very, very silly stealth mission part. Yeah, so he uh, he, he has to give this this performance kind of once again uh, to this this group of ska here, but he does, he does manage to pull it off uh, and some information has been imparted to them. We will see what that actually means about when the mists leave. That's unnerving. Uh, but he is, uh, he's going to, uh, to head off again. Uh, though at this point he has, uh, he, he has some kind of interesting thoughts about, uh, the bones of Kelsier, despite the fact that he's, he's done probably hundreds or even thousands of imitations over his life. Uh, this one, this one felt a little bit different, and so he actually takes those with him and heads off to Erto. Unfortunately, <laughs> a couple just minor things about this chapter I found interesting. One, I don't know if this has ever been brought up before, but we find out that Ellen's banner is a spear and a scroll, um, which is fucking nerdy, and it's perfect for Ellen. So, like that, that, that that's a fun little description detail, um, and then. Also, just the detail that Penrod claims he can see the Lord Ruler and talks to the Lord Ruler. Um, just seeing all the different forms that Ruin takes to kind of get in the head of the people he's spiking. It, it's interesting to see um, who he appears to whom. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, we, we leave Tensoon there, uh, heading off at least away from Luthadel, though not quite in the right direction, unfortunately. Well, someone's in our toe. Someone is in her toe. 
Not gonna come up completely empty-handed. I'll see people he recognizes. Or, maybe. <laughs> Possibly. He would have known them from when he was uh, accompanying Vin, at least. Yeah, he oh, would know. Yeah. He would know Stacey from Breeze, I think. Right. Yeah. Just have to see if how Urto is doing by the yeah, time he gets there. Yeah. There. I, yeah, I will say in terms of a 10-foot putt I got wrong, I thought for sure this was going to lead to um, Ted Soon pops up and then Spook sees Ruin and Ted Soon and is, just sees two Kelsiers and is like, I don't know which one to shoot, which one's the real one? <laughs> um, and I got spoilers for this episode of the podcast, that did not happen. Um, so yeah, interested to see how Ten Soon pops up. Yeah, because we will we will not be seeing him again in uh, in our episode today. We'll have to see uh, what he has, what part he still has to play in part five. Uh, leading into chapter fifty three, our epigraphs return to the more uh, cosmological, where uh, we are now talking about uh, the pact that was made between preservation and ruin. Uh, and this was this is something that we've kind of touched on before of. Uh, those two names and kind of the forces that they imply, uh, how do those relate to their, like, the things that they will do as as gods? Uh, and we're, we're not quite there in this epigraph, and we'll, we'll learn some more later. Uh, but yeah, this is, this is now some kind of deep Karasmir stuff that we're getting into here. Chapter 53 proper, uh, we have made the journey to Urto. Uh, we are back to see. This is going to be kind of the uh, uh, the the goings on in Urto are the, the kind of the the most exciting, I think, in terms of actual events occurring for this episode. So we're going to be back here a few times and and seeing the the fireworks there. Uh, but we're starting off again in a moment of of calm. Uh, yeah, we'll see the fireworks in a little bit. That's that's one way of putting it. Mm -hmm. Or just the fire, you know, one of the two fireworks um we we're starting again in a place that we truly know and love uh which is spook trying to interact with beldra oh yeah i'm getting the fucking spray bottle <laughs> enough of this yeah like they're almost having normal interactions with each other at least for a little bit but it's it's still just kind of overshadowed by the actual circumstances that they are in, where she's a hostage, he's been spying on her for weeks or months at this point. Like it, it's not quite working here. Hate to break it to you, <laughs> and even like the very specific details of she wouldn't survive three heartbeats in the underground. The idea that Spook has just turned that into his own standard metric of measurement because she mentioned three heartbeats at one point is like, back off, man. <laughs> I think what's really cool about this little bit, though, is like, as the reader, I mean, we've cottoned on to the idea that Beldra d doesn't really like spook mm -hmm. but but uh as the reader this is like a, a, a typecast romantic scene mm -hmm. right like it's this is the romantic scene trope they're they're by the side of the lake they're talking at one point they touch love is in the air 
but right these are these are the two enemies who are now starting to come together have their moment of understanding but they just don't they don't but when you read it you try to read into it like that your brain just tries to go that route even though the sensible part of you is saying no she doesn't mean that yeah yeah and you have you know beldra confiding in spook that she found out that she's also half ska so they they have a they have a shared history there that's very meaningful in the final empire but but yeah but it doesn't work i think my favorite part of this is when spook is like kelsier tell me what to say he thought yet god remains silent because even ruin is like yeah i don't really care about this part of things i, I don't that i don't fucking just do your own thing i don't know also yet god is interesting yeah also yeah just saying because now officially calling him god like <laughs> all right okay yeah because i mean as someone who was around kelsier a lot uh, spook isn't really a, like a survivorist he hasn't um i mean there there are some people who were around kelsier when he was alive and are survivorists like demo uh but spook we haven't really seen that before also, before before we go that far, uh, Belger says, like, oh, I wish we'd known about this cavern because people are starving. Fewer and fewer fish are being caught. There's now fish. Uh-huh. We are adding Confirmed to fish. the list of things that are actually existent in Skadriel. But we haven't We're... seen a fish. We it could be Beldra, is... Beldra could be lying about the fish. <laughs> As if on cue, uh... A fish jumped out of the water and found them <laughs> in the lake. No, it but it's them gently with water. Right at the start of Well of Ascension, I was like, "There's no fauna," and now our cup runneth over with fauna. <laughs> you were a, f- you were a fauna denialist. You tried to say that there weren't actual horses when there were horseshoes and horse whinnies and the people were riding horses, but. <laughs> right. That wasn't but enough. That was, that was all later in the Well of Ascension. That's like, true. The, there was nothing in the Final Empire, or almost nothing, that was like, there are animals that exist. I'm not denying <laughs> anything. I'm just asking questions, okay? Yeah, right? <laughs> like, where are the fucking animals? All right. They exist. Fish are a thing. There you go. Yeah, so as the, uh, the potential uh, romantic scene continues... Uh, we we get more of this. We get them discussing their backgrounds, discussing... Spook talks quite a bit about how he came to be here. And, like, I will say, if we didn't have all of the, the creepy and weird stuff he's already done, this is a nice scene. This is him talking about how he kind of, like, fell into being part of the, the Survivor's crew. He kind of, like, came along for free. And he was just kind of the the awkward weirdo who, and is now part of these huge goings on in the world. And it's a it's a it's a nice story. Yeah, but so he did come for free with clubs like that. All right, fine. But um, a package deal. But he he did then become kind of the crew's tin eye, mm-hmm. and did a damn good job at it. So, yes, he refilled Breeze's cup. Everybody refills Breeze's cup. That's just what he made people do. It's just the cost of doing business, of being around Breeze. 
I think the thing that I I like the most out of this discussion uh, is uh, Spook's take on Ellen and Vin, because we've seen what the world has been doing to them. Uh, and Spook, who hasn't seen Ellen and Vin for probably several months at this point, um, he he had seen some of the changes, some of the things that that the the weight of of rule have done to the two of them, but he also knew them from before, uh, and and can talk about how you know Ellen uh, Ellen still is trying to be a good person, at least in his view. Uh, and then his his take on on Vin of how sometimes she seems so delicate, but then also she has this immense amount of power. I think it's very interesting. Then he goes back into self-deprecation. Spook, stop! Yeah, he does do that, doesn't he? If I read I'm Just Spook one more time, I'm going to pull a Beldra and scream. <laughs> scream? <laughs> In three heartbeats. Well, as we get to the the end of their uh, of their talk here, uh, we do get uh, some of the more pragmatic parts of this scene, uh, where uh, Beldra, in the other version of this scene where it is a an actual romantic moment, uh, you know she she would kind of turn away from the things that her brother has done and the the person that he's become. We see that that she still has problems with what he's doing. That's why she's here, but she doesn't she doesn't give up on that relationship either. She does want to help her brother. She does not want Spook to hurt him, and uh, yeah, it's it doesn't quite land where we expect it to land, but it is uh, it it's a good scene. I like it. It is a very good scene. Beldra touches his arm, and what could it mean? Does it mean she's making a play for sympathy, or does it mean that uh, that she's <laughs> that she wants to lay with him? What could it be? It's it's, it's spray bottle time. That's what that means. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're not going to use it, Sam, we'll use it. <laughs> yeah, give it here. <laughs> All right, we will we'll check back in uh, because Spook is off to go uh, cause some drama because he is under Kelsier's tutelage in one way or another, uh, and he's going to go be seen. And we see uh, what his uh, immediate agenda is, uh, is he's back uh, communicating with, uh, with Dern, uh, and they are trying to prepare uh, for what is, is going to end up happening. Uh, Spook is, is explaining, actually, that they are going to be refilling the canals uh, and is looking for Dern's help in making sure that uh, people are kept out and not hurt by that. Uh, and he is is bargaining uh, with, among other things, uh, a a title for Dern, who, even in this whole mess of a world, apparently Dern is convinced that that still will mean something. <laughs> There's a. This is very strange for me to focus in on, but. When, when they're describing the room that Spook and Dern are meeting in, it mentions an old set of drums hung on the wall. And I don't I don't know why that detail is there, and I don't know why it sticks out to me so much. I, we, I don't know if you've ever seen Dern be musical in any way. I don't know how that relates to the inn that they're staying in. Have we? Okay, never mind. <laughs> he, he did some good percussioning with his little sticks when they were both playing... Uh... 
playing beggar. Ah, uh, I see, I see. Carry on. You get those drums, Dern. I think what's <laughs> interesting, though, is that that's the only setting description we get here. It was, it, it reminded me of, like, uh, so here's a movie that I'm sure we all think about constantly. The movie Nacho Libre starring Jack Black. Oh, um, yeah. There's a scene in which he's carrying, I believe, corn dogs, and someone smacks the corn dogs out of his hand, and the camera cuts to like a second and a half shot of the corn dogs falling on the ground. And I've seen people like go into full essay mode of like, the director had to take 20 minutes to set up the camera and lighting just to get the shot of the corn dogs falling on the ground. He felt like seeing that perspective of the scene was really important to selling the fact that the corn dogs got smacked out of his hand. And I don't know, I just had the same feeling about there's a set of drums on the wall. It's like, what, why do we need that very, very specific detail? <laughs> and then nothing else. I do have an important correction. I just looked it up. Um, Jack Black, in fact, smacks the food out of someone else's hand. And it's not corn dogs. It's just corn on a stick. I apologize it's, for that. It's an elote. It's a Mexican street food. Elotes. Drums on a wall. <laughs> yeah, so the, the rest of... Uh, spooks work tonight uh it seems to be it's almost a callback to um what what uh breeze was up to in final empire uh where he's he's going around to to the people of the city and trying to uh to raise their spirits get them on on their side of the plan uh but it uh it's you know there's some some key differences uh the Primary one being that Spook is thinking about a girl the whole time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wasn't thinking about Breeze as a comparison. I was thinking about the the, the modern day practice of bar hopping. <laughs> yeah, I mean that too. P- pretty much. It's pretty much what he's doing. Um, it does still. I think. I think Sam really hit something with the the warp effect of Breeze in that. Yeah, if Spook is doing a better job at rallying the citizenry than the best soother of all time, then maybe maybe the best soother of all time is getting a little bit of the short end of the stick in this book, unfortunately. But <laughs> he still gets to be therapist, Breeze, and I do still appreciate that. I also wrote, why is Dern still with him? That's a good question. <laughs> Just hanging out. Entourage. Mm-hmm. I like that, um, uh, speaking of the, the bar hopping, that Spook has been letting his pewter do some work there. Uh, you know, Dern checks in on him for a moment. He's that's your tenth tonight. You doing okay? And uh, Spook's doing just fine. Thank you. I'm thinking about a girl. I mean, no, I'm not thinking about grills. I'm thinking about. Don't worry about that. Um, <laughs> Although I, I think that's doing him a bit of a disservice. He's not only thinking about Baldra, but he's also thinking about uh, the act of promoting himself as this big hero uh, and getting people to to fall behind him specifically uh, and how Kelsier uh, was all too ready to do that to the point that some of the rest of the crew were worried about it. That was something that we saw in final empire quite a bit was how much of this is about the myth of Kelsier. Uh, And now spook is, is starting to see how that's going to fall on him too. uh, And has to wonder how he is supposed to handle it. It's true. But the moment when Dern asks, are you all right? You are looking distant. It is while Spook is thinking yes. only about Belcher in the yes. conversation. I felt seen as an introvert for when Spook is 
pondering about how he can keep his fatigue at bay with pewter but the mental fatigue of just sitting around and talking to people my god god i don't know how he does it <laughs> but as he's trying to to figure out the whole um people being devoted and, and, and celebratory towards him thing uh he gets some encouragement uh from kelsier who tells him that uh, the people love you and that you deserve it uh which is a little weird from from what we've seen a little that's weird. probably fine it's probably fine it'll probably not cause problems just a couple chapters later <laughs> Uh, going into chapter 54, we are going to be checking in on where Vin actually is, uh, which is in Fadrek City. Uh, before that, our epigraph continues on the uh, the uh, implications of what Ruin and Preservation did uh, so long ago. Uh, and we learn that uh, Preservation gave some of itself up. Uh, to create the the sentience of of people uh, and that left preservation very slightly weaker than ruin uh, and this is apparently the uh, the bargain that was made uh, was that as as preservation got to have the these people that that the the people that had more preservation than ruin in them that eventually ruin would get to end the world and then apparently preservation broke that deal and at this point, deal. I think we, we are still firmly in, okay, tell me more and then I'll figure it out later territory. A little bit, yeah. It does make me ask the question of if preservation literally created humans and like made a sacrifice in order to do so, why are humans considered of ruin by the Chandra? The simple answer is maybe the Lord Ruler is just a liar sometimes, but... um. That is, that was the first thing I asked there of kind of this revelation that preservation specifically went out of its way to create mankind, and yet humans are of ruin. Interesting yeah, lore it's, detail. It's an interesting question. I've got a deal for you. Let me make sentient life, and then you can kill everything and destroy everything. And then I broke the deal. Is it really such a bad thing to break that deal? It is if you're ruined. If we're talking like the scale of gods, I guess that's that's fine. But we shook on it, man. We shook on me being able to kill everything you made. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I don't think we're qualified to figure out what actually happened there just yet. Yeah, not yet. So returning to Vin and Vin returning to consciousness, as the last time we saw her, she was uh, succumbing to some uh, quite powerful drugs. Uh, she has been uh, imprisoned once again more directly this time as she is apparently uh, manacled and restrained. Uh, and the the first moment that she's uh, awake, she's already planning and trying to, to get out. Uh, unfortunately, does not have any access to her medals, which leaves her in uh, a, a much less powerful position. And her captors are very attentive and notice that she's awakened, even though she's trying to kind of keep that fact hidden. Uh, so things are going to start happening there quite quickly. But we get... Um, I I think this is a, f a fascinating scene, uh, because Yeoman himself has arrived uh, and is going to 
just have a chat, basically. His, uh, he has Vin as a prisoner here. And we've seen from the way that uh, Yeoman interacted with Elland that he does have a, a bit of a, uh, a a scholar's bent in him. And so he's going to to take the opportunity to have some some kind of real important discussions before we get to uh, his purpose here at the end of the chapter. Yeah, when she uh, finally opens her eyes, she sees that he's staring out a large window and the setting sun was a violet crimson blaze around a silhouette. I still love my theory that he might be a Faroukamist, but like that tells me he's got to be a Mistborn for the drama factor alone. It is probably <laughs> the the best place that he could stand in that room in order to make a, a dramatic impression. <laughs> I hope while she was unconscious, he tried out a few different places. Like over here, there's like some shadows on my face, which is pretty good. But oh no, let's try the window. Let's try the window. It'd be good if I was it'd be good if I was facing away from her, so I shouldn't be focused on shadows on the face. Uh, what what what's <laughs> going to work best here? Also, my my blood dread uh, uh, Easter egg hunt has fallen on its face. I think because he could easily have <laughs> described this as blood dread, mm, but he didn't. But it is in fact crimson. It's crimson, not blood dread. It is violent, though. It's very violent like blood so uh, as the scene continues uh yeoman is very thoroughly prepared here uh he has he has brought some some water for vin to drink uh she's of course suspicious and he points out look if i wanted to kill you you've been trapped twice now i could have just killed you so <laughs> please drink this water uh, but he points out that it has been uh very thoroughly purified to the best of their ability uh, so that he is not going to be giving her even the the tiniest bits of metals as she had actually used uh, way back when we first met her. But it does have PFAS. What? Forever chemicals. In the uh. rain. <laughs> Do they have those on Skadriel? Maybe the <laughs> volcanoes have something in them. We don't know. But it's a nifty callback to the days where she got her quote-unquote mm -hmm. luck from water. Just from the, the, the groundwater, yeah. Yeah. So we see that uh, Yeoman has also... Um, uh, the the shackles that are binding her are made primarily of silver, uh, which does absolutely nothing elementically. So no good there. Uh, which then also leads him to ponder uh, Vin's earring, which he took a... Uh, a a notice to given that it is a bit of metal carried by an alamancer he took out the earring it's exciting he did uh <laughs> and he he notes that the the earring was uh bronze covered with silver which from an alamantic context which he knows a fair bit about he says you know this doesn't seem to do you much good the silver doesn't do anything and the bronze it you know it's it does something, but it's it's just bronze. It's not going to let you fight your way out or, you know, shoot something at me or anything like that. Uh, and so, Vin is is going to is thinking of trying to grab it, and she does. She picks it right back up, and then puts it back in her ear. God damn it, Vin! <laughs> it's just a, a force of habit at this point. I know. I know. But you could have had it all, Vin. And uh, very interestingly timed, as Yeoman is preparing the the next part of the uh, uh, of what he has to discuss here, uh, Ruin has some opinions. 
on Wow, yeah, Ruin's chiming in, huh? <laughs> All of a sudden, with his his usual advice, but this uh this part of of Yeoman's plan is just a very practical and thorough uh element of kind of bargaining with a hostage uh, where one of Ellen's soldiers is here to uh observe and report that Vin is safe. There's kind of a a little like security challenge here uh, to determine if this is actually Vin. Uh, and the the answer seems uh, to to be satisfactory. So Elland will now know and have some some proof that Vin is alive uh, but captured. And she, she just had eggs. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else. Just a, a meal of eggs. Which you know what that means, Sam. It's probably chickens. Oh, that's true. Probably chickens. Well, you know, could be not necessarily any number of animals that lay eggs. It's true. I, re- I remember seeing a discussion about um, the things that don't get recorded in history, uh, and they were they were specifically uh, the the mystery that they were uh, referring to was I don't remember what era of of history it was, but when you'd have uh, a set of condiments to put on the table there would be three shakers there'd be one for salt one for pepper and one for something that we do not know at all what it was because nobody ever bothered to write down what the other spice was that you would commonly <laughs> set on a table jeez and and somebody made the modern day comparison of imagining a a far future archaeologist uh finding a a cache of 21st century recipes that all just say eggs and looking at the whole (laughs) variety of animals that lay eggs and trying to figure out what right what that means because nobody puts in their recipe chicken eggs (laughs) yeah It, it reminds me of how um we have a recipe for how the ancient Romans made their concrete and everyone was like, look, we're, we're, we tried out the same recipe as it. And it wasn't as strong as all of these like ancient Roman structures that are still around were. And it took like years before they realized, Oh, it's cause they're fucking using salt water. We didn't think to use salt water cause it just said water. So we assumed we could just use like tap water, but no, it has to be salt water for the concrete to be strong. Justin and I have a cookbook like that, but it's because it was our grandfather <laughs> Uh, like transcribing our grandmother's recipes mm-hmm. as she cooked, but he didn't know anything about cooking, so she would just be like, "And then I bake it," and he would write down "bake," <laughs> and then later we go, "What temperature, Grandpa? What yep. time?" Yep, there's there's ingredients that show up in the middle of the recipe that weren't in the yeah. list. <laughs> there's things without quantities. It's great. Yeah. It's like a it's like a Great British Bake Off technical challenge. <laughs> Stir until stirred. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much. He would write that. Cook until cooked. Okay. Um what's Yeoman up to? Yeoman is Yeoman's Baking. conducting a very thorough operation here while we're talking about eggs. Uh and he this this is a very thorough and precise operation which confuses Vin because she asks straight up why did you you capture me uh and and he says i captured you so that i could execute you which is a confusing statement because that would have been easier to do when she was unconscious (laughs) Uh, but 
then the uh, the kind of further purpose uh, is is explained that apparently Yeoman, as a highly ranking obligator and uh, member of uh, the the Church of the Final Empire, uh, intends to put Vin on trial for the murder of the Lord Ruler and then execute her for it. I love Vin's reaction to that. You can't honestly intend to try me for that. It's ridiculous, she says about the time she murdered a god. Yeah, it's... This is not the time for this scene to take place, but it would be really interesting if it could be. <laughs> but yeah, we are going to have to to see what uh, the actual outcome of that is going to be. Because for now, she's going to be re-imprisoned and apparently awaiting trial. Because that's what we need right now. <laughs> uh, on to chapter 55, to the other key player in the uh, the Fadrex part of the story here. Uh, Ham. Of course. <laughs> we'll see. Ham's surely around and alive, of course. Well, obviously, yeah, I don't know why you would even say that, but yeah. <laughs> Just making things clear. Uh, Ham dies off screen. <laughs> <laughs> Excuse you, Ham appears to die off screen, but there's no way of proving that he did, so thus he is alive. Yeah. They did this in The Fast and the Furious. In, like, the fourth one, Vin Diesel gets a phone call, it's his sister, it's like, Dom... Your girlfriend has been murdered. <laughs> she did not appear into the movie up until that point. Actually, she never appeared in that movie because she was dead. Just kidding. She was back two movies later. Wow. <laughs> I was compelled. I'm, yeah, I bet you were. Reset the clock on Beth reminding me of Fast and the Furious things. It's been about 12 hours. <laughs> it's a very small clock. We just saw Guardians 3. Vin Diesel is there. There's Fast and Furious trailers. What do you expect? You made a Fast and Furious reference before we went to the movie. Uh, don't blame it on the movie. That is fair. <laughs> Ellen. Yeah, I'm going to try to get to chapter 55 because I really like this chapter. It's really cool. It's a really good chapter. Let's yeah, go. Yeah, it might be my yeah. favorite chapter. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, our our epigraph uh, talks about the the bargain and the breaking of the bargain between preservation and ruin, uh, which is that uh, preservation apparently attempted to imprison ruin, preventing the world from ending, uh, which reduced both of them to barely any useful power at all. Uh, and then there's some there's a bit of musing about the relationship between the actual force here and the kind of personality behind it, uh, which may be relevant as we go into chapter 55, because uh, the last we saw Ellen was another really fascinating chapter uh, where he got to be the one to experience the, the kind of overwhelming alimantic fight where he's just fighting for far too long, sustained by these powers uh, and the state that that left him in. And now he just has to kind of walk home because uh, he's uh, he he left most of his coins. Uh, he doesn't have uh, as much 
he, he wants to to remain with the the Colossus army instead of just flying ahead of it. Uh, and so, yeah, he just has a, a march through the ash back to camp with uh, plenty more time to to think over what's going on in the world right now. And I think on screen, this would be uh, a very interesting scene to uh, to cut back to the way that this chapter has where I don't know where we'd be specifically coming from, given the the way that the timelines might shift around. But it could be something quite tense and important and and with a lot going on. And then we come over here, and it's pretty much just Ellen walking through the ash. Yeah, this is another scene where... He's having a good walk and think, though. <laughs> Adapting it to screen is going to be very interesting, because... There's no dialogue. There's no one for him to talk to. It's just a full internal monologue. Mm-hmm. But I I can picture a version where you, you give it to a good enough actor with just like a few significant looks like maybe he, I don't know if they have wedding rings. He looks at like some memento of Vin and he looks at his Colossus army and then just like stops. And there's a moment of silence where he's just like him halfway buried in ash looking mm-hmm. so small and then he just slumps to his knees. It's it's so good. I mean, it's very sad, but it's a very good chapter. He could look at that book because he's just got that in his pocket all the time. He probably does. But yeah, it's this is nearly a point of failure here. He's he's by himself. He's he he's up to his chest in ash. Uh, and yeah, right right there in the ash, he finally just gave up. And then we get a a reappearance of someone else that we haven't seen for quite a bit, and certainly not so directly. Uh, we have the, the mist spirit here. Ellen gets a, an actual good look at it, uh, and it seems like it's it's not actually made out of mist. It's just kind of the mist itself is implying the shape of a person here. And really shows up right in the nick of time, because I do love that it's like, Island literally is about to give up and then goes, what the hell is right next to me? And manages <laughs> to, to, to have a, a new conversation of sorts. Yeah, and, and we've seen the Mist Spirit make some uh, very significant appearances in the, uh, the story thus far. Uh, but this one is as direct of an intervention as it can. And we see very quickly that that's not much of anything at all. But it is, it seems to be trying pretty darn hard to to make this moment important, to get some bit of, of information or just motivation to Elland here by himself in the ash. And fortunately, Elland is, uh, is pretty quick thinking here as uh, he, he realizes that the, the communication is, is very limited either uh something is is stopping the the mist spirit from being able to communicate or it just can't at all uh it tries to write and the the writing just comes out as the these threats of death uh but ellen starts to piece it together uh is that uh whatever is opposing the spirit can change the words and so writing doesn't do any good uh it can point it can do things like uh, tear the, the pages that Sazed was dealing with. And the, the one 
kind of little bit of information that they have that they can communicate is, I mean, for lack of a better term, they basically end up playing like 20 questions where Ellen just <laughs> has to pose these these questions and try to figure out what is what is the thing I need to ask so that it can tell me just yes or no. Yeah, it is funny after Well of Ascension with Ruin being so subtle here ruin i we know we know a chapter from now we figure out he's feeling very confident right now but the idea of like no subtly at all just like yeah i'm gonna make them a spirit right death 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 that's gonna do the trick like just <laughs> fully does not care about the charade at this point because ellen figures out immediately oh that's that's ruin messing with you mm-hmm. um but yeah i was very happy to get this chapter i'm still a little bit in hindsight frustrated that the Miss Spirit never made any attempts to answer yes or no questions back in Well of Ascension, because I did point that out at the time, that clearly it's capable of that much. Um, but I'm glad we get some of it now, because Alan does ask some very good questions and gets some good information. Yeah. Uh, the first things that he he learned are kind of... Uh, well, he, he learns some things about the state of the world, where this this spirit is is very weak, significantly weaker than it was before we learn that the the force opposing it is causing the the ash to fall and that it very much does not want Ellen to mount an attack on Fadrax city uh, we also start to kind of try to to dial in on what's going on with the mists uh and the the danger that they now present uh but uh, and, and that there's something to do with metal there is the closest that uh, that Ellen gets, but the uh, the spirit at this point is is starting to even more than it already is break up and fade away. Uh, and Ellen tries to get one more question out, uh, which is simply, can we survive? Can we win? Uh, and the answer there is maybe. Eh. <laughs> and that's it's, it. Uh, and it's gone. Yeah, forever, apparently. <laughs> well, uh, we are certainly not going to see it again in this section. But even this this little thing that did not get him much at all, nothing really concrete, and that, that final answer of maybe I don't know if you can survive, uh, and yet Ellen, this was a thing that he needed. This gives him what he needs to, to stand up uh, clear off the ash, uh, keep marching, and he's he's going to head back to his camp. He's going to take some some plans, and and he says there are possibilities for survival, possibilities to land safely on the other side, even when logic told him not to jump. Yeah, this this is I I really like this chapter. Yeah, I I love that the takeaway is there's more things to there's more questions to answer and maybe some of the answers might actually be good and that's kind of like what gives him the the motivating factor to move on forward um and the whole uh, we we moved past it pretty quick but the whole conversation of landing on the other side of the chasm even logical not to jump is like he was thinking about how vin approaches problems versus how he approaches problems and the idea that you know it's it's kind of kelsier-esque in terms of smiling all the time. So maybe it's a Mistborn thing, but this idea of like, it looks, the situation looks really, really bad, but believe that you might be able to get through it and you might be able to get through it. And the, yeah, it's just kind of the the motivating factor he needs to keep moving on. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
Uh, before we move into chapter 56 itself, this is... We, we've seen how the epigraphs have fairly closely tied to the chapters that they're printed along with. Uh, but this epigraph here is almost a direct continuation of what we just saw in chapter 55 in, again, I think a really interesting way. My note was literally, what convenient timing, Mr. Epigraph Writer. <laughs> well, you know, th this book was assembled by someone, I guess. No, I appreciate it. It was just, it is very funny. Like, sometimes the epigraphs are slightly relevant. Here's one that's like, the epigraph writer seems to know that we just saw this scene. Mm -hmm. But yeah, the, because the additional context that we find out is that this was apparently, essentially, preservation's last bit of life there. Uh, of making an appearance to Ellen to try to to communicate something to him and also maybe just to encourage him to give him a, another push to keep going and uh and and maybe you know maybe that's all that preservation could do but it was it that was the opportunity they took because at this point that was all that was left preservation is not going to be able to just you know, push away inquisitors like uh they apparently used to but yeah, that was that was all that was left, and maybe it was enough. Uh, and then the thing that uh, the the way that this epigraph works, it's almost it, it's the lingering camera shot after Ellen has moved on, uh, where we see uh, apparently just a few minutes later uh, there would have been a body appear out of the mists, dead into the ash. Uh, and our our writer here says the corpse was left alone to be buried in ash. The world was dying. Its gods had to die with it. So what do we think of that? Well, I read this in the voice of the narrator from The Grinch. It's a it's a good narrator voice. I'll give you that. <laughs> it's, it's a it's a very it's a, don't seriously. It's an extremely striking visual. It is, um, and I do picture just like a shot of up close the. the the dead body and then just a zoom out of nothing but ash yeah it, that, yeah I had the, the very same center is yeah like that the shot is like there in the book it's great mm -hmm. but i did read it in the grinch narrator's voice <laughs> so as we as we go further uh with our epigraphs and then hopefully into you know part five we'll have to see if we can learn some of the implications of this or maybe we just have to let that knowledge kind of linger until we learn more cosmic things but yeah that's that's the visual we have of after ellen has moved on and there's nothing but ash we see this man here who just dies into the ash and there's there's nothing else there coming down to uh, our chapters are are pretty quick here as we're coming down to the end of the the section though we have a larger one to actually end it itself uh we're going to be back to spook then back to vin then back to Urto for the the finale chapter 56 itself uh spook is is kind of laying out final preparations for how he wants this to go uh and he's very much uh, channeling Kelsier here, intentionally, uh, in, in specific cases, and also just kind of as we've seen overall. Uh, but he's, he's doing some planning, and he wants to find a way to uh, expose Quellian 
as a, as an alamancer and as someone who is is using alamancers against the people. Uh, yeah. The uh, the planning he he is joined, of course, by Beldra, who once again is uh. It, it these these interactions have a very odd feel to them, uh, but there's some moments that I like, uh, and yeah, we get to see the plan kind of worked out as as Spook has it so far. Uh, although apparently Beldra does not get to see the plan because Spook has been taking all of his notes in Eastern slang, so from anyone else's perspective, this chalkboard is just covered in gibberish, which is kind of funny. But it seems inefficient. A little bit, yeah. There's a lot of words there. I understand the ciphering bit, but like the word, you shouldn't need to use the words was or doing in a chalkboard render of a plan. Right, like if if we go back to Final Empire where Kelsier was, was doing these, he just wrote like nobility, lord ruler. Like that was it. Yedin's attitude. I don't think they ever did properly address that. Maybe if they did, <laughs> you wouldn't have gone and gotten everyone killed. Oh, no. I like that it's in the slang. I feel like we've had two books of him, like, trying to distance himself from it. To be like, this is gibberish and nonsense, and I want people to understand me. But it's still, like, it's kind of your native dialect. I'm glad that you're still keeping it in the rotation in some way. Don't just shit talk it. <laughs> Yeah, I agree with that. And then also there's the moment where he says, wasing the how of wanting the doing. Is that the specific line that actually means nothing, but they were just teasing Breeze when they said it? Uh, that line was, wasing not of wasing is. <laughs> ah, I see. What uh, Spook is actually saying here, I do not know for sure. I'm going to check uh, if Brandon has... Uh provided a, a translation as he sometimes has <laughs> so yeah uh the 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 plan uh as as spook has laid it out he he's initially a little hesitant to explain it to to beldra uh because she is his enemy which is the most correct thing that he's thought about her in a while uh but he is still he does still have quite a bit of feelings for her and specifically he remembers uh feeling left out and and kind of put aside when the the in the early days of of Kelsier's crew and so decides to to tell her what it is uh and in particular that uh, one of the key points of his his plan is to get Quellian to expose himself as an alamancer. Uh, and Beldra thinks that that uh, isn't quite going to work uh, and that uh, he'll need to, to find some other way. Mm. Yeah. So. She certainly does immediately say that won't work when Spook says, I need to force him to be an alamancer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> She's the enemy. I better not spill the beans. Oops, I spilled the entire pot of beans. <laughs> just the whole pot. Because I just like her. She's, She's just, just so sad. She touched She's my so arm one time. <laughs> but uh, there's no further uh, spillage of secrets here. 
because uh, they are they're interrupted by uh, Captain Gordell, who has uh, something important to to tell them because apparently there's there's something going on upstairs, and the uh, the thing that has happened that has has kind of caused a shift here uh, is that the the soldiers the ones who have been uh, as as they all as both sides know the soldiers that have been uh, keeping watch on the ministry building where they've been staying uh, the soldiers have all left which does uh, make people pause for a moment of what's going on here where did they go and for this uh, for this particular part of the scene uh, it's not actually clear right away but it, it becomes so uh, a little bit later on that um, we are we've shifted to to Sazed's POV uh, and uh, he's the one who notices that uh, when when Gordel is uh, is checking in to see what their next move should be, uh, Gordel is deferring to Spook, uh, which Sazed was was part of this process of when they arrived at the city of of asking Spook for for his input on as the one who had been here before, uh, and Sazed certainly wasn't in a place to feel like leading at the time. Uh, but it still does kind of strike him of that's interesting, isn't it? That uh, the you know, the soldiers are deferring to the boy as as he refers to Spook, but uh, at the moment there is uh, there's nothing they can quite do about it. Uh, they do seem they do decide that they're going to uh, do some thorough scouting and see if they can figure it out, uh, but the plan will go forward. Uh, and at that point. Uh, Sazed has some some time to think about uh, the state of the world, which, from the way that he's seen it, uh, the the earthquakes are more frequent and more violent. Uh, the mists are remain later in the day. Uh, the ash is increasing. the The planet itself seems to be in a very bad shape. It's bad. Yeah, it's, it's bad. <laughs> and Sazed thinks that this would be this would be a good time to have faith. And that has not been working well for him. He is in his very methodical procedure to find the one correct and true religion. Uh, he is down to just 30 possibilities. After eliminating 20, he uses the word eliminated. Just want to point that out. I, feel, I, I still feel like this is more metaphorical than you interpret it to be. <laughs> I truly don't think he's burning them in the in the pyre. I think he's just like... Of the possibilities, it is no longer a possibility, so put this sheet of paper to the side. Yeah, you can get eliminated from a reality competition, and they don't kill you at the end of it. <laughs> that yes, we they know. do. You are eliminated. Oh, no. We're escorting you to the guillotine. <laughs> There's a Doctor Who episode about this. Not with a guillotine specifically, but... All right, well, Sazed cannot uh, continue his uh, his procedure here. Uh, because the thing that the soldiers went off to uh, to work on uh, were riots in the city. There's uh, th- there was a fire that uh, that someone had had set, uh, and the soldiers needed to help put it out before the whole city burned down. Because that's a distinct possibility here in Urto. And Spook thinks that this is this is a good thing. Uh, which is that the city is right on the brink at this point, which is where he wants it. Uh, but Sazed does have to remind him that 
things almost went very badly for everyone involved in Luthadel and that they need to make sure that they can kind of hold everything together. Only the off-screen speech of El Adventure kept that city from destroying itself. So this made me write in my notes. Uh, hey, real quick, why are they even still trying to take her toe? They know it's in the cavern, it's a lake, and it's a not super important metal plate. Um, you can't really take the lake anywhere, and uh, if you fill the canal, then there's no longer really a lake. Or there is a lake, but you can't, like, who cares? I I don't know. I, I think the Urto crew is not necessarily aware that, like, there's a literal god named Ruin that's about to destroy the entire world, so they're still focused on... In the long run, we are going to need that water, so we do need control of the city. And I think, honestly, some of it might just be their revolutionaries with a, a, a passion for defending the people, and they've found people who they think need defending. I think they may that have is... gotten a little sidetracked here. Yeah, they, they a little, as we say on this podcast, they got a little lost in the sauce. But, uh, um. You know, maybe they're also just, like Ellen told us, to take the city, so we're going to take the city. But, you know, I don't know. Whatever. They're no, taking I th- it. I think they have cited that as part of it. It's like, this is an empire, and this town is in open rebellion against the empire. We gotta go bring it back under control. It's too close to our center of government, which has been immaculately maintained so far. Yeah, Gennaro needs his city back. (laughs) Gennaro, where are you? He's drinking tea. He's having tea back in Luthadel. Um, I think you make a valid point of like, so we're learning more about the cosmological powers and just like how imminent the entire world falling apart is. The stakes of Erto feel slightly slower, but I think it, it, you know, most of Erto's storyline is wrapped up in today's like reading i think it makes sense to kind of do that before we get to the final part um so that we can focus on the wider picture um but yeah you make a good point i think but also the characters don't know that it's a good point if that makes sense right yeah the last thing that we have here uh before we leave urto and then come back one final time uh, is a, a very interesting inversion of a conversation uh, where one more time here, Spook and Sazed are going to talk about faith uh, in a time when Sazed has basically entirely lost his. And even if it is in a very strange and kind of twisted way, Spook has found some. Uh, and so Spook gets to to tell Sazed what he thinks the uh, the kind of meaning of of any sort of faith is uh which is that you can trust that that someone uh will be watching and will be able to make it right and he is correct that somebody is watching he is correct for the wrong reasons in this particular context but he is correct (laughs) someone is watching and he is going to make it so much worse oh dear god (laughs) please (laughs) so for our our final kind of uh chapter in the other uh, line here back with uh, Fadrex and with Vin. Uh, our epigraph is uh, a more vague musing on the, the kind of powers in the world. 
that says that that everything has three aspects. Uh, it has a, a physical one, a spiritual one, and a cognitive one. Uh, and I don't know if it's exactly a RAFO because there's not really a question being posed here directly. Uh, but these are things that are going to come up much later in the Cosmere. Uh, and but but now we're just getting a mention that there there is some some meaning in this this division into three kind of aspects. Put a put a push pin in it. We'll tie some string around it later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's exactly where I'm at. A lot of these epigraphs have just been like, I have no theories about this, but I'm just going to write all of this down just so I have it written <laughs> down. But uh, yeah, we have returned to to Vin. Uh, although the first sentence of the chapter is. Uh, ruin uh, of course you should kill them obviously uh, i like that uh, vin has found a a pragmatic use for this uh in that ruin can help warn her when people are nearby uh, and i like the the next part which is something that uh brandon talks about in the the annotations uh which is that uh Zane had spent a an enormous chunk of his life trying to figure out if he was mad and what that meant for how he should be interacting with the world and the things that he heard. Uh, Vin takes uh, a single paragraph to to wonder if she has gone mad uh, because she does see and hear things, uh, but she decides right away that. There's nothing that can change one way or the other with this answer. She does, in fact, see and hear these things in some way, and so she's just not going to care. Yeah. I love her so much. Ruin warns her when people are nearby by just always kill them. Yeah, you should kill them. And she's also thinking about how, like, she can't. Like, she's chained up. She cannot, in fact, go kill them. And how... In her mind, Ruin is more of just kind of trying to push the whole, this whole situation, the whole mood in a certain direction, rather than take some sort of direct course of action, which reminds her a lot of some of the things that she knows about Alamancy. But over the, uh, the course of this, this chapter, this is following directly with our, our Ellen's chapter of the most direct interaction we'd seen with with preservation uh this is even more so than in the cavern when ruin first kind of formally revealed himself uh this is the most outright here that we get to see kind of the the divine stage of this conflict because ruin is just going to come right out and and have a chat with vin and kind of gloat a bit ruin has has decided that he has all but one and so it gets to gets to say some things that he couldn't before before we get to that though it's interesting to me uh vin reaches out to the coloss mm-hmm. without metals though is the interesting part to me they're locked in i yeah i believe the way that we've seen that working is that the the extreme alimantic burst that is required to take control of them um at that point or after that point they're just kind of generally mentally available i don't know if we've seen if that requires like some additional bit of brass or zinc uh, but I, I think the way that it works is it's just kind of available now 
Yeah. I mean, it's just new information. I'm not saying it's like, oh, I got gotcha, Brandon. I'm just saying, like, it's interesting to to see that it doesn't require metals if you're yeah, I, locked into them. I, I, that was also interesting to me because for Allomancy specifically, we've kind of always seen that, like, every single magical ability, you got to be burning a metal to some degree. And here we have one where it's like, yeah, she is telepathically linked to hundreds of these monstrosity beings and there's no metal at all involved. There wasn't in the initial transaction, but now that the thing is set in, she's completely metalless and she can still connect to them. Yeah, I, I think that's also interesting. Uh, this is another chapter I really like. Like, I think that connection, like trying to figure out, can I use the Coloss? That's very cool. Um, I think some of the gloating is actually really cool. Like the specific line of, Think of me as a caretaker, the one who watches the shop and makes certain that the light are, lights are turned out, that everything is cleaned up once closing time arrives. I love that. And then also Vin's sort of turning point moment of realizing, hang on a second, it's gloating. That's a that's a motivation that I understand. It's a shockingly like human emotion. And she starts thinking of him as a he. I think that's a really cool moment. Yeah, I clocked both of those had the same feeling. The closing time thing is a a fantastic metaphor that was... It's such a good metaphor that it was to the point of, if it weren't for all the other evil shit I had seen, I would almost, like, buy into this a little bit of, like, maybe it is, like, just a force of nature with no morality attached to it. Because, like, yeah, it feels like you kind of need that sometimes. <laughs> if you hadn't written death, death, death three chapters yeah, ago, I would be exactly. more on board. <laughs> exactly. And then, yeah, the revelation of, of, well, it's gloating, so it's more human than I thought. Yeah, the, the, the pronoun of it to he I also thought was really neat. And the idea of, she doesn't get a ton of information from the fact, she, she, she has a couple of minor deductions, but like, she doesn't get a ton of information about the fact that he's gloating. But it's enough for her to like start thinking about it. And I don't know, I've, I feel like I've seen it a thousand times where the villain gets overconfident and gloats, and that's the only reason they lose. But this feels like a really good iteration of it. Assuming he will lose, we don't we don't actually know that. But um, this this is a trope that I feel like has been overdone, but it is done very well here to the point that I don't mind it. And that is that's enough for Vin to get kind of another burst of okay. Let me let me kind of buckle down. And figure out what do I have? What do I know? How can I beat this? And she does get to actually, you know, talk back and forth with uh, with Ruin. And we hear some about some of the things that the epigraphs have talked to about how Ruin and preservation were involved in the creation of this world. Uh, but one thing that Vin does realize during this, which I think is something that we've gone back and forth on, is she's going through all of these these plans in her head this kind of what does she know what can she try to get to and ruin is is talking about what he wants to talk about uh and at one point says you know i know what you're thinking you you want to try to get preservation's power but you can't uh and vin realizes that's not what i was thinking i was thinking about something else that you would have reacted to, I don't think you can hear my thoughts. Yeah, it's not just I was thinking about something else. It was, yeah, I already figured that out, idiot. Like, I yeah. love that moment so much. Yeah, I think it's really cool how 
we know all of this. Like, a lot of this is just, like, Vin realizes a thing that's like, she didn't know preservation existed. We've been hearing that name for a few chapters now. I mean, for longer than that, but, like, getting s some sort of concrete info for mm -hmm. a few chapters now. And she's starting to put those pieces together. But the stakes have been, like, the situation has been so dire up until this point that it still feels like so much progress for her that it's just like, yes, you did it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm so proud. So this scene uh, draws to a close here, though, uh, with Ruin saying that uh, this is kind of the, the end of its, of its villainous gloating of Ruin saying, I want you to see the end because it's coming. Uh, and Vin asks and, and Ruin answers that it is days away, not even weeks, that we, we are, we have arrived at the end of the world. And, and Vin realizes conclusively that the reason that Ruin has said this is because he doesn't think that she can do anything about it at this point, which because it's Vin means her immediate reaction is, then I have to do something about it. So going into chapter 58, uh, we have one more epigraph here for the part, uh, which connects in with the, the discussion of the, the three aspects uh, where this, uh, this ties into what our, our writer has been saying about how preservation had imprisoned Ruin, uh, that it has to do with the different parts uh, and, and is, is kind of all tied into that. Uh, and that then once uh, Ruin was was freed, as we saw at the end of Well of Ascension, how things very rapidly changed from there. Uh, but we do want to get right to chapter 55 itself, uh, because it is it is the biggest of our, our section here. Uh, and Brandon mentions in the annotations that uh, as he uh, as he published his first few books, one thing that uh, people said was that, uh, oftentimes the sometimes the Sanderlanch can be a problem where kind of everything happens all at once right at the very end uh, and so what we're going to have here is a we're going to have a climax of a plot line uh, a pulled out ranch. just a little bit ahead uh, so that we can we can give this the kind of weight that it deserves and then we can go on and see everything else that's going to follow as well rock slide yeah a fire slide oh yeah there's there's certainly forces of nature involved here so uh the the beginning of the chapter uh we start with the conclusion of engineer sazed which is great uh where he is explaining uh the constructions that they have built to very rapidly divert the water back into the canals uh, and is is setting up for this to be kind of triggered when the the time is right, uh, because they are they are preparing uh, for uh, an appearance that evening by Quellian, and everything is going to to come to a head one way or the other here. Use those pulleys, say Zed. Yeah. Hell yeah. It is. In hindsight, it will end up being a very important moment later on. The phrasing of throw your weight here when Sazed is explaining how a lever works, that was a, a weird opener. A little bit. Throw your weight. So so pull it. Yeah, but it's a little heavy. Okay, just say that then. <laughs> so we see one last bit of the 
kind of attempt to to stave off the actual potentially bloody parts of the plan uh, that Beldra had uh, had written uh, apparently a, a quite uh, emotional plea to Quellian to try to to set things right uh, and that he was hearing absolutely none of it and and said that I do not fear a usurper I am protected by the survivor himself you will not have this city so things uh, not going to go the easy way here tyrant got to get that in there and yeah they they leave their their base of operations here uh breeze says here we go again he's he's seen how this has gone once before and is perhaps <laughs> rightfully a little worried but so belger says don't do it give him more time please but why is he going to do something different soon <laughs> Doesn't seem like it. I had that same thought. <laughs> yeah, I think she's out of um, uh, meaningful arguments at this point, too, and is just down to, he's my brother, and I don't want you to hurt him. Just please. Just don't. Just don't. Don't do it, Spook. So we go into the, the streets of Erto. Uh, Quellian has a, a speech that is coming up. Uh, Dern says that the the rumors are that it's going. The speech will be denouncing uh, the the survivors' crew and then ordering an attack on them. So it's it's good that they've taken their their first move first. And uh, very shortly um, into a little bit into the speech, uh, Spook gets a message saying that uh, things are are kicking off uh, a little bit too quickly as there's already uh fights and and riots breaking out and and things are things are progressing a little bit too quick are heading a little bit out of control uh and kelsier is there saying that this is exactly how it was it was supposed to be it's how it happened in luthadel and it's how it it's going to happen here it is insane that he says when I took the city of Luthadel, Kelsier was fully dead by that point. He was not involved in the actual <laughs> taking of Luthadel. He was, wasn't he? Let's keep an eye out for for other things that uh, might not have happened the way that we know that they happened. Uh, for example, uh, in our narration, just a little bit further down, uh, where where Spook is uh, is looking at the way that things are are starting to unfold. Uh, he he reveals himself to the crowd. Gordel's soldiers are rushing the stage. Uh, Spook is is feeling the fires of rebellion burning in the city, just like the night he had overthrown the Lord Ruler. Hmm. It's not exactly how it happened. <laughs> not quite. But uh, Spook has Spook has some things in his head right now. So the uh, the the. Combat is beginning. Gordel has rushed the stage. Spook has leapt up there as well. Uh, they are they are trying to uh, they're trying to force Quellian's hand to show his allomancy, uh, and it's it, it starts as just another uh, another fight. Uh, we have we have some thugs here who are are defending Quellian, which is not a thing that should be, but they don't quite have the dramatic reveal that spook is looking for uh spook tries to to kind of dissuade them to show that that they can 
they could be on the side of Spook and his people instead of fighting for Quellian. Uh, but Kelsier has has other plans. Says kill him, and uh, and Spook does. I know it was Ruin goading him into it, but one of the most fucked up things one of our like heroic characters has done of that ah, we're gonna we're gonna help. Really? Nope. Bam. Yeah. No, <laughs> this is this is bad. Things are yeah. not not in a good place right now on a very personal level. So, yeah, Spook fights his way all the way to Quellian himself, uh, who is, is still shouting that, that he is, he's protected. He does not need to fear Spook. Uh, and then we have an intervention from, from Beldra. She was there. She is wow. here. And uh, <laughs> it feels like that has a bit of a different feeling than it did every other time that uh, Spook has thought about her. <laughs> yeah now she's attacking him <laughs> yeah uh because yeah as as it turns out as we have uh we have theorized and, and we've alluded to in in this section thus far because we did read this yeah uh quellian is not the allomancer here it's and it always has been beldra Ugh. good job caleb <laughs> thank you thank you i take that begrudging w from you thank you and this almost works in that it can, it still does provide some of the impact that Spook was looking for of it, it shows the people that Quellian did have this, this element of hypocrisy of he was so against Alamancers and the nobility and, and was finding them and killing them. And here's his own sister who he had been protecting the whole time, but it it's, it's almost the way it was supposed to go, but it's also very much not. Yeah, it's also the only reason the whole crowd realizes what's going on with Beldra is because she holds her hand out when she uses the coins. I'm like, well, you don't need to do that. It's been established. You don't need to hold your hands out. It's not necessary. I thought that was where she shot the coin out of. Yeah, but you don't need to, like, after you shoot the coin, you don't need to, like, have your hand. I don't know. <laughs> Can't you just toss the coin in the air and then push it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is a um th- this moment uh we see a, a a possibility that Breeze with his uh his soothing is possibly influencing this situation where they do get the the crowd on the side of Quellian has has been lying to us and and has been a hypocrite about Alamancy and about the way that he's treated his people, but it then very rapidly turns on Beldra and things start to go very wrong. And uh, Spook finds himself in uh, an opportunity of a, of a place of significant power here where he Spook goes to goes to Beldra to uh, to keep her from from the crowd and then Kelsier says, uh, now you have to kill her because she's a coin shot. And if you kill her, I'll give that power to you too. And then he raises his obsidian club and Kelsier goes, no, no, not with that. You can't kill her with that. Hang on. Just give me what you got. Just hang on. <laughs> so screwed up this whole chapter. It really is. Uh, 
I think the most disappointing part of it is I was like, I was excited for Spook to be a badass, and then it just turns out he's he does a badass thing right at the very oh, he's, end. He's gonna be a badass. Don't worry about that. Oh, he'll he'll have something, but yeah. Honestly, I was really kind of bracing myself for the full evil turn and going all in on drinking the Kelsier Kool-Aid. So I was very proud of him for starting to figure things out. Um, so, yeah, I really like this chapter. I think it's a, a fun... Fun might not be the right word. There's a lot of fucked up stuff <laughs> happening, as we mentioned. But um, a very solid way to kind of wrap up this storyline. Yeah, because things go very rapidly from here. Uh, we have we as Kelsier as as Ruin is trying to to get Spook to to finish the job here to uh, to spike himself with uh, with Beldra's uh, um, steel. We see that Quellian is there as well and is is pleading towards Kelsier, who he also sees and interacts with uh, for why have you abandoned me why are, why are you leaving me here uh, and spook uh seeing he has a, a moment of clarity seeing everything that is starting to to go so very wrong uh goes over to quellian finds that quellian also has a spike in him uh, a piece of metal in in his upper arm uh spook tears it out uh realizes what has just happened and then just cuts his own spike out <laughs> which is a hell of a thing yeah pretty pretty badass i'll give it to him you know what like in spite of the fact that spook's been used like a like a puppet here um he figured it out and he had the courage to like put, put hit the brakes on it <laughs> instead of just going along with it at the final mile so yeah because not only like being able to to not do to, to not kill beldra that's that's one thing and then taking his own pewter which also takes away the ability to resist the pain that he just caused himself there's a lot that that spook is now uh, you know he's he's under so much here and on on one sense he's you know he's achieved a, a significant victory breaking free of uh of ruin's ability here because kelsier vanishes and you know that that's the end from what we can see that's the end of of the influence on spook's thought patterns uh but the the state that he it kind of emerges into is that the city is still rioting. There are fires spreading everywhere. And how how do you now stop this whole city from tearing itself to pieces? The moment where fake Kelsier is gone and then he just thinks to himself, you want to be like Kelsier? Really like Kelsier? Then fight when you're beaten. Survive. Fight like, when you're beaten. That moment was fantastic. That was awesome. So amazing. I loved it. Yeah, oh my it's, God. it's pretty cool. It is a pretty great moment. And then he starts delegating. He does. He delegates. <laughs> He's so. He's still a good leader. <laughs> so good at this. He tries to delegate, but it turns out that some of the key pieces that would be delegated to are dead. Yeah, we do need to rewind a bit. Beldra is a coin shot. She did just kill the guards that were guarding her. 
so yeah that uh, those canals not gonna not gonna get opened as they were supposed to yeah i did i kind of sensed this coming when Dern said like two or three times that people are going to be there and they're going to be looking for the fact that Quellian is an Alamancer and for the fact that the canals are going to be refilled with water. And when he said that the second time, I was like, okay, neither of those things are going to happen the way we think they are, are they? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it is, they, they have one kind of final push to, to save the city. This uh, very strange crew of spook Sazed, uh, Beldra, and Quellian here all kind of have their part to play. And I think, in fact, I think the best moment of delegation is you are going to go convince the people to get it together. I don't give a damn if they rip you apart. If you don't, I'm going to kill you myself. <laughs> I love just completely done with it, Spook. This is great. I love this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty good. And onwards he goes. Uh, he is... Uh, he he starts that he's going to go um, get the he, he's going to get to the cache he's going to bring the uh, the the waters uh, and then he realizes that Sazed can very easily do that himself he's the one who set it up he's probably the best for it uh, and so uh, he will he will have his own task then because uh, when they but but when they get to the building that is uh is already you know the the flames have already reached it uh you know they they can't get in uh Sazed tries he probably has some sort of fair chemical assistance there and and he can't manage it and spook finds himself now just spook the tin eye uh and and what does he do now and He's back to thinking, you know, he's he's just spook. He's the one who doesn't fit in, um, but remembers that that Kelsier did give him something very personal, which was his name, uh, and decides that he is he has to go into the fire. He runs into the building. He lets go of his tin, can barely feel anything at all, partially from the lack of tin and partially because of the fact that he is basically burning to death fights his way through the cavern, finds the lever, manages to to fall against it, and our chapter ends. Did I say out loud, or did I just write it in my notes, that the ministry building at some point was going to burn down? I don't think we have that on the sheet, but Damn. your notes are quite extensive, so I would, I would believe that it, it would be in there. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that was said out loud, but I do trust that you did think that hang on i do part five trust that building I'm, i I'm don't building. give me the receipts uh yes uh chat where is this chapter 50 it was chapter 56 hang on where i said it which is in this section but i also You're said right. it somewhere else didn't i darn it darn me but I said, quote, the ministry building is made out of wood, which is flammable. And I wrote it in my notes. <laughs> this is a true, true fact. Yeah. True fact. Okay, so it's not... Anyway. Anyway, Spook's dead. Spook's <laughs> totally dead. That, yeah, I mean, that's where we end our scene. We have, we have Spook as the survivor of the flames going back into the building. 
and getting to the lever and and that's going to be it you know for our for our section we'll see if we can we'll see if we end up in urto again in part five but for now we're going to have to end the episode at least the uh the, the section about things that we already know i i know the storyline is is fairly wrapped up here would be wild if there's just no more urto and Saison breeze <laughs> never show up for the rest of the book that's it yeah i mean there there was a part that they had to play at least in the plot as we knew it at the beginning of the book you know like we said this was there is a matter of empire here and they did need to secure the city and you know we'll have to see how far the fire got, where the the water ends up, and all that, but it seems that at least in some way they have they have secured the city. Uh, but since that mission was delivered to them, uh, the world is now in a very different state. And what do they? Is there anything that they can contribute to defeating ruin and stopping the end of the world? I wish we knew. Well. We are, we're going to have to find out because we have, we finished, uh, we finished part four here, beautiful destroyer. And now all we have left is part five. And in a contrast to, uh, the previous two books where our part five or in, uh, in well of Ascension's case, part six, uh, was only a single section, uh, hero of ages, Part five will take us another three episodes. It is a full uh, fifth of the book, even slightly more. Yeah. Still got a lot more books in this book. There's increasingly less book in this book, but there's still a lot. So yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be a hell of a ride. Uh, And we're going to be starting on that the next episode. Uh, But before we get there, we do have to figure out where we stand here. I don't think we have any well there were there were a couple of people who Ten soon ran into. Every time you say that, Justin, I've got someone for you. You've got at least one. Who do you have who do you have to add to the list? Uh not adding to the well, I have one to add to the list and one I did write down in my notes Wellin Man question mark as Wellin, because I remembered it was based on a real person. Yes. I just forgot what that person's name was. Um, and then, yeah, for Riddle, I was like, well, if we're going to just have the names look like the names of the actors, let's just have Jason Ritter be Riddle. Okay. Yeah. That's Hell that's yeah. allowed. He's also Preservation's corpse. That's true. It's true. I feel like I needed a little <laughs> bit more info before I cast that, but we did, we did get a description. No, we got a description. Short of stature, black hair, prominent nose. Danny DeVito is the penguin. You've solved You're it. Right. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> Danny DeVito. Including the weird fucked up like black tongue thing. The teeth. Yeah. The teeth. Having not seen Danny DeVito's turn as the penguin, for a second my very tired brain was like, is Danny DeVito just like that? Does he just have <laughs> <laughs> I was scared. <laughs> No, it's Batman Returns, that classic movie that came out before I was born, I think. Yeah, I'm so sorry I haven't seen that one. <laughs> Wait, is that the bad one? Is that the George Clooney one? You're thinking of Batman and Robin. Batman Returns Damn is it. fairly campy, but is, I think, 
pretty well regarded by the fandom. I apologize for the contempt in my voice. It was misaimed. That's the one where Christopher Walken plays an evil businessman. Named Shrek. Max Shrek, that's correct. Ma- Maxwell oh, no. Shrek. Don't worry, it's it's got a C and a... I think it's got two Cs. It's, I it think does. it's S-C-H-R-E-C-K. It is. Boom. I just watched this movie. <laughs> is that why you? it's fresh on your mind for preservation? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> Penguin. Perfect. Okay, um... Sam, do you have anyone to put in the, the spot of Riddle? And or Caleb, do you want to cast Preservation based off of our very short description there? I'll pass on Preservation. All right. And yeah, I'll pass on Riddle. Okay. All right. With our powers <laughs> combined. We yes. have a full, full cast. Casting. Yes. Perfect. All right. So uh, as we've been going with our our um our interesting predictions over the course of this book i feel like there are a few things that have been uh pretty locked down uh in terms of uh things that that Caleb and Sam that you've decided are you've got a pretty good handle on uh and we did see there with the conclusion of of spook's arc uh we did see pretty directly uh evidence of what spikes can do and how that relates to to ruin uh but the kind i think the question that hasn't really been touched on is how is the world going to be saved or is it going to be saved uh and so i'm i'm curious as we go into part five uh do we have uh do we have a look at what is left to happen in this book in this series oh yeah Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Sam was uh, discussing in our our pre episode uh, chat that uh, uh, in a in a game show vernacular, he may be attempting to solve the puzzle here. Yeah, I've got, I have stuff here. Uh, <laughs> so, um, the, when I prepare my notes, uh, I go from the reading to interesting. And then what I like to do is I like to give myself at least a day to think and then continue. So here's the interesting notes that I wrote right after reading. Uh, Tensoon's going to appear as Kelsier in her toe. Really set things off. I don't know to what end, but he's going to do it. Uh, unless something big happens, Fadrix is going to be as Fubar as her toe was. Whoever set the city ablaze is immaterial to ruin as long as it happens. Uh, let's see. Um, as Vin knows that the, there's shit all in the cache, you can just leave. Uh, where's the fucking gunpowder? And um, if ruin is why the mists are killing, what does that make the mist fallen? Um, I think they're people who've proven themselves to be outside the influence of ruin, and therefore going to Luthadel means they're going to stop Penrod. So uh, those are the, the quick and dirty ones. Um, and then I thought more. <laughs> okay dangerous uh, so the way that our toe ends is very similar to the ending of a popular video game called Tony Hawk's Underground 2 right <laughs> we did talk about this really doubling down on Tony Hawk's Underground aren't we Skatopia baby right so um, in in that video game it ends with Skatopia they go to this this great place and probably the Pacific Northwest you get to meet Bigfoot. He he 
rides a skateboard with a chainsaw attached. Why not? You can manual a pill. Why not? Uh, and then Eric Sparrow, that fucker. Fuck Eric uh, Sparrow. <laughs> fuck Eric Sparrow. What a fucker. Uh, what a fucker. <laughs> um, Phylon is Eric Sparrow. Uh, <laughs> if you, uh, or what he does is he lights off fireworks and then it just burns down the whole kitten caboodle and you have to escape. Um, so, uh, it inspired me in another way. Um, right now, uh, Caleb has just danced rings around me in the prediction section lately. He's just been home run after home run, three pointer after three pointer. Um, because of this, he's probably way ahead in points. Um, but in the popular video game, Tony Hawk's Underground 2, they spin a wheel to determine the next That's challenge. what that was for? Is you're trying to get your podcast points by doing the equalizer? <laughs> yes. In New Orleans, Bam Margera spins the wheel, has a drunk guy spit and hit the wheel to pick the thing, and it lands on the equalizer, which is a crazy skate line that's really difficult to do. Thus, the equalizer, a combo line that's such a long shot that hitting it will give me 4.5 trillion podcast points. <laughs> so one one point that I think we've diverged on, I, I would say correct me if I'm wrong, but if you correct me, then I'm going to, the whole thing is going to fall like a house of cards. <laughs> so I'm just going to say it. Uh, I think Vin dies. Uh, we said that, and everybody explosively freaked out at the beginning. I still think Finn dies. Okay, for the and record, we didn't explosively we explosively freaked out because it took you forty-five minutes past the "what will every character do" section to say, "Oh yeah, I think the protagonist will die." Uh, yes, yeah, it well. was not the prediction. It was the here's a list of people who were who will die, and then forty-five minutes. Then, oh, I then. forgot to mention the main character. Ah <laughs> oh, shit! It was Vin. Uh. So, um, I think Vin dies, and I think she dies before the end of the book. Uh, here's the, here's my solving the puzzle. Donald fucking duck. Uh, Ellen comes to Fadrick City. Things come to a calamitous end. Both sides seem committed to things ending that way. Uh, I think it'll conclude with Yeoman dead, Vin rescued, Ellen questioning his goodness, continuing to, and Kolos running roughshod through the streets. Uh, we'll probably say goodbye to human... In an initial assault, because I think he's kind of run his course. He showed us what Kolos are. Um, great. <laughs> you know what they are. Uh, Vin and Elend are going to then head somewhere to fight Ruin Mano a Mano. Possibly the location of his body, which I think is in an ash mount. Um, Ruin keeps pointing north. Not Ruin. Fucking preservation. Mist Spirit Boy pointed northeast, which is... Calling, maybe? Where's the compass rose? I don't know. I think anyway, it's a it's a it's an ash mount. It's in an ash mount. Um at roughly the same time, the rest of the crew is gonna figure out where the body is too. Possibly because Ten Soon, this is what he has to impart. Is he knows where the body is. There's something he knows that he needs to tell Vin that he hasn't told anybody. And maybe it's where Ruin's body is. He's looking for his body. Uh, I would say that um, the people who get to the body, which I think will at least be Vin, Elend, and Sazed, will get there at around the same time as everybody's favorite inky boy, Marsh. Um, <laughs> I think Marsh, Vin, and Elend are going to fight. 
I think at that point, Marsh is going to kill Vin. Um, and I think that's going to snap him out of his reverie long enough to kill himself. Uh, meanwhile, Sazed will witness all of this and realize that he has to become the Hero of Ages, possibly by taking Ruin's body, which is thus the I am unfortunately. Um, unfortunate because his friend just died, and he thought Vin was going to be the Hero of Ages. But she's dead. So he has to be it. Um, so, uh, let's see. Uh, Seiza does something to banish Ruin, possibly just destroy Ruin's body after using it to reverse the fucking up of the world he caused. Um, I think this will also open Seiza's eyes to the importance of religion, because what is religion but a set of instructions for how to run a society? Um, okay. He'll, he'll kind of use the tenets of the religions that he pulls together, just all the little bits, like Larstism, you know, whatever, pull it all in. Um, because all of it, in a patchwork, creates kind of a utopian vision of the world. Bam. Spark the conclusion. The world didn't end, but gosh, did it ever come close. Many people died in horrifying ways, and yet the terrorist people are just fine somehow. So, uh, to recap what just happened, uh, we're at about the 15th hole. You know, it's it, whatever. It's like a 5-iron to the, to the green, 5-iron. I pulled out a fucking driver, okay? <laughs> I'm going for the 18th hole. at the 18th. <laughs> If I get if I get the 18th in three strokes, then that's 15, 16, 17, and 18 in a total of three strokes. Okay, that's how golf works. That is definitely on the golf course where we used to work, Justin. I think you could do that technically, just based on where 15 and 18 are in relation to each other. You sure could. <laughs> uh, Sam, I have good news about the equalizer. That is not my prediction. So. <laughs> you don't have to worry about us guessing the exact same thing. Great. All right. Then it's set. That was also a rare time where I threw a stopwatch on Sam. Uh, you hit 7.45 in terms of talking time. Wow. All right. And, and I loved every second of it. Great. <laughs> I do. I like how, like, it's pretty clear that a lot of our plot threads and also character locations are going to probably have to start kind of collapsing in on each other. So I, I like the idea of here's how we get Tensoon and the people who are in Fadrax and Marsh uh, and then also Sazed uh, are going to all potentially tie in here. I mean, the circle's closing. It is. <laughs> Yeah, I will say one thing about this point in the book, and it's a good. I am glad that part five is so long because normally when we get to the final part of the book, it's like most of the things are fairly wrapped up, or at the very least, like we see where they're headed. In Final Empire, we kind of see where things are mostly headed. In Well of Ascension, part five is practically an epilogue of here's the start of the next story. Right. <laughs> and in this one, like. There's a lot of questions. I have a lot of theories that I still have hope on, but have not been like confirmed at all. The wild thing is like, even though Sam and I are both pretty confident about Sazed as Hero of Ages, the idea of the Hero of Ages prophecy still being important has not even been hinted at. It really hasn't. This yeah. entire book so far. It's been mentioned in one of the Lord Ruler plates, and that's pretty much it. It hasn't even really been brought up since then. 
Yeah, no, that's been kind of that's why I think this um, this ending episode section in particular, I want to to see what we think is is going to happen because there has been that kind of disconnect between okay, we're very confident that Sazed is the hero of ages and where we currently are and the fact that the world is about to end. And like there's there's at least one, maybe two missing links there, it seems like, if all of those things are going to be true. All right. Uh, yeah, so I have a, uh, a full block now on our, uh, our episode tracking sheet of Sam's predictions. Uh, <laughs> Caleb, you said that they are they're at least uh, different enough that they're not going to be a, a complete overlap. So what do you have? Uh, what do you have for us here? Yeah, I have a uh, mine. I have a, don't have a lot of like unified. Here's every single part of how the story will play out. Mine are a lot more sporadic before I get into theories. I have a couple of just like, you know, uh, what do you call it? Not maintenance. Um, Housekeeping. Yes, thank you very much. Um, some housekeeping uh, questions and thoughts. Um, one is just, I know Ruin called Vin this exact phrase, but I'm still shook by the fact that part four was called Beautiful Destroyer and there's not a single Marsh chapter in it. Like that, that the phrase Beautiful Destroyer seems exactly like what all the Marsh chapters have been, been about. And I don't know, it was just wild to me that we didn't see any Marsh this part. Um, moving on, I have a moment of of justification and vindication because last time or maybe the time before that i don't remember i thought to myself fedri the guy who knows about the water that the, says the it asshole about. who wrote a lot about canals yeah and i was like i feel like we've seen that name before and you control f it and you couldn't find it turns out we have seen that name before but also it does make sense it didn't show up on the control f Says it did not go into too much detail about who Fedra is, but if we look at our good old friend, the map on Fedric City, or sorry, Erto, we find out that the aqueduct of Erto was in fact Lord Fedra's aqueduct. That's where we've seen the name before. Of course it was the map. Of course it was the map. That's a Noted wild catch. Look, Caleb. <laughs> yeah. Look. Living up to the brand. Yeah, we we knew from episode one how I feel about my maps. Mm -hmm. Should have had faith. Um, all right, now just a couple of questions that I don't have any answers to. One, there is a point in this uh, section where Ellen literally refers to a volcano. Is that the first time a character has used the word volcano? Because they just always call them ash mounts. And then randomly, Ellen just calls it a volcano. And I don't know, that was just like a... I, I didn't know they had that terminology in this world. Good question. Let me find out. Fair enough. Uh, as you look that up, this is one that I know you can't answer for me because it's probably some Rafo. Um, but just some thoughts I had. We get the like lore here that preservation created humans. And my question is, is that true for all Cosmere humans? Or is that just Skadrial humans? What, how... The weird thing is it seems like the preservation and ruin seem, just knowing where the Cosmere is going to be going... They seem fairly contained to Skadriel, so it is interesting to think about the fact that there's going to be other worlds and, and universes that we explore in this, like, wider series. How does that tie into the fact that these books have a, like, fairly a, definitive... A this is, yeah, that's, what, that's exactly what I was going to say. Assuming the Hero of Ages epigraph writer is correct, a, a literal creation myth for how humanity came to be. 
I'm interested to see how that ties into things. Um, and then also the fact that preservation apparently has a body that, from what we can tell, is human-like, but it probably is not a human because they, preservation created the humans. And yeah, it's just it's it's interesting to 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 think about what's 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 going on here. What's going on? So I will give you a vague and non-committal answer on at least part of that because at this point in Brandon's books and in fact still now that is kind of like not there's some some interesting bits about that um at different places in the cosmere in in the different systems uh humanity as we would see it has arisen in a couple of different ways in a couple of different places so it's possible that that the the creation myth as we saw in the epigraphs did actually take place on Skadriel. It's also possible that something else happened and and there's more complications that we'll learn about later. Fair enough. All right, now it's time for theories. Again, a bunch of these are not super unified, just general thoughts. Um, but um, first thing is that Kelsier had like a pretty big re- fake Kelsier, sorry. Um, had a pretty big reaction when the spikes got taken out. Um, he it said he had like claws after the Quellian spike got taken out, and then he was like really angry when um, Spook had his spike taken out. And if Ruin is so like confident that his plans are going to work, is Erto really that important? I don't know if it is. So I don't know if it was just frustration that he was getting so angry, or if potentially. He can actually be hurt when hemallergical things are undone, um, which makes me also wonder. This is the actual like theory I'm getting at here. Um, Marsh got one of his spikes jiggled around in the Sazed fight in Well of Ascension, and I'm curious if that's a why he has a little bit of self control. Seems to have more self control than most of the other Inquisitors, and maybe B that'll end up being important that um, Marsh will. I'm on the fence on if he's actually going to kill himself or if that's just his plan right now and maybe that plan will change as more things happen. But um, if Marsh is super, super important to Ruin's plans, then maybe that's the key is if Marsh can take his spikes out. Not only will that kill Marsh, but like that will actually directly hurt Ruin by mm. doing that. Okay. Um, rather rather than just being an obstacle in the plan. Um, so that's my thought on that. Um, Tensoon tells people that when the mists leave, you should immediately find shelter, a place underground if possible, um, which means Tensoon knows A, the mists will not last forever, and B, it's gonna be real bad when the mists stop lasting forever. Um, so my brain is thinking that it's, that's gonna be, it's mostly gonna be ash mounts, um, that cause, like, the actual end of the world. Um, they're all gonna explode at once and, like, really cover the entire world. Um, and by staying underground, you can survive through that. Um, it is interesting that, like, Ruin was around before Rashek was, and we kind of got confirmation that the Ashmounts were created because of what Rashek did to the world. So the idea that the Ashmounts are, like, the specific weapon that Ruin will be using to end the world is interesting if he didn't, like, create them in the first place. Um, so, yeah, not exactly sure how that all ties in, but I think the Ash Mounts erupting is what's going to uh, cause the end of the world. Because let's not forget, 
the epigraphs specifically say, yeah, the world ended. Like, after the fact, the epigraph speaks in past tense saying that the world ended. So clearly not everything, like, happens perfectly. Um, but what my guess is, big picture-wise, I think they will be able to quote-unquote kill Ruin in the same way that Preservation just died. I don't know if it will require them... It will require ruin finding the body and then they kill the body or if they can kill like the consciousness of ruin without him getting to the body i'm not sure he'll probably get to the body because then he gets to power up to his like one-winged angel final boss form and then they kill that but um uh they will defeat the consciousness of ruin however there will still be the you know there were the three i'm forgetting exactly what they are right now but there's the three forms of every god and some of those, some form of those gods will still be around. The the smoke and ash will still destroy the world as we know it. But because there's no longer any intelligent presence behind it, because they defeat, ruin the consciousness, um, humanity will be able to survive by living underground, waiting for all the smoke and ash to pass. And then eventually they'll be able to come back to the surface um, is, is what my guess is going to be there. Um, we'll get back to that in a second. Um, going to Yeoman, there's been a lot of, um, questions about, is Yeoman on the side of Ruin? Um, Vin in, in this section said, I think he's just misguided. And we've been hearing that he's a good person. Um, so I think one of two things are happening. Um, one, he is spiked, but he will manage to unspike himself. Or he is not spiked at all, which I kind of, I'm kind of hoping it's the second one because the thing that's super interesting about Fadric City is even though it's ignoring the end of the world and, you know, it's clearly not being run in a way that will help save the world. It is weird that in comparison to Urto and Luthadel, Fadric City is actually kind of doing okay. Like, at least it has moment, the most yeah. order to it out of all of the locations we've seen. Yeah. Um, so that kind of tells me that Maybe Yeoman is not under the control of Ruin. It is not in a chaotic and ruinous state as the rest of the world is. Um, and there was one very specific moment. You know, I was keyed in to look at the earring because I have the earring theory that I'm doubling down on. But specifically, he gives the earring back and then Vin notes he was watching closely as if he was wary of something. And then she puts the earring back in and Yeoman goes, all right, okay. And then, like, the conversation kind of moves on. So I'm wondering... Does he know? Does he? Is he? Does has Yeoman already started to figure out how the spikes work and how ruin works? Um, and if so, I think that would be really interesting. If this is kind of an ex, the, the earring thing was kind of an experiment on his part to see if he could figure out how ruin works. And if so, there's a chance Vin figures out on her own. I gotta get rid of the earring. And part of me hopes she does because that that's good. I like Vin figuring things out. That's always very nice. Um, but as someone who has been, you know, kind of going to bat for Yeoman, I'm really on board with him as a character. They could be a really interesting thing if this character we've been told is really decent, figures things out, and then goes, all right, Vin, I know what's going on with you. You got to take that earring off so that we can figure out what to do next. Um, I think that would be uh, an interesting turn of events as well if Yeoman turns out to be a, a good in all along or has a change of heart at the very least um, and actually contributes to solving some of these problems. Um, so yes, mini theory is Yeoman is aware of how spikes work or is trying to figure out how the spikes work. And then grand scheme, 
I hope he turns out to to be a good guy in the end and does not have to die. Um, but I imagine Elend will will bring it close to the edge. I think Elend is going to start forming Coloss armies and maybe setting things on the brink of destruction. But I'm hoping they can pull it together. Um, so uh, that's what I think is going back there. Um, yeah, in terms of pointing northeast, the the preservation spirit. Um, I, I this is the one part where Sam and I's theories kind of align. Because, yeah, you, you mentioned there's no, like, rose compass on the map. But if we look at, like, the labeling of the um, uh, map, what we would normally expect to be north on the map appears to be northwest. Because the western dominance is in the top left and the northern dominance is in the top right. So if you're at Fadric City, which is number four, and you're pointing northeast, you could be pointing towards Tyrion, the Ash Mount, which I believe we saw erupt. That's the one we specifically already saw erupt. Um, I have been wanting my volcano fight. Part of me really wants it to be a volcano fight that they'll go to Tyrion. That could definitely be what it is. Sam might be onto something there. Um, that being said, in aside from the ash coming out and and killing people, the Ashmouts haven't actually gotten a ton of like emphasis in the story, and I don't know if it would be incredibly like satisfying if that's where the final showdown is. It's just those things that we've kind of mentioned being in the background from time to time. Um, also kind of in the Northeast pathline is actually the uh, pits of Hathson, um, which I think could also be a potential um, place for a showdown because that does have a lot of story significance um, and is also the only place where we've seen Adium uh, created. Um, I, I'm believing less and less that uh, Ruin actually cares about Adium, but also that is a question, as the back of the book promises, all, all the questions posed by the first two volumes, we still have no fucking idea where the Adium is. Um, so that's still a question where I, I don't have any specific theories, um, but uh, maybe Hathson might be tied to that. That might be tied to Ruin's body. Who knows? Um, but, um, you know, it could still be that Adium is tied to, to Ruin's body and and the, that's why Hathson will be important. But yeah, in terms of, like, satisfying storylines, I feel like it would make more sense for the showdown to be a Hathson, but, man, I really want my volcano fight, so uh, maybe it'll be Tyrion, and I'll be happy with that as well. Um, still going. Okay. Um, we got uh, the um, talking about the mists killing people, and the mist spirit was like, no, 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 um, and then points to Ellen's medals. So I am, even though we don't have all that much book left, I'm doubling down on my... 1 16th, 16%, all of that is tied to the uh, preservation trying to tell people, look for the 16th medal. Um, and that's that's what he's trying to communicate with that. Um, I, I still feel like that's probably the case. Um, and then last um, big theory here, which is actually one of the first things Sam brought up. I'm going to go against him a little bit here, um, which is that um, uh, Tensoon coming up. And he's got Kelsier's bones. And it really feels like, yeah, there's a good opportunity to be Kelsier and inspire the people. It's a nice callback to the Final Empire. However, there's a lot of things happening in her toe. And Sazed is also in the, me in, the, in the middle of relearning the true meaning of Christmas. So I feel like what's going to happen is that um, Tensoon shows up, starts to explain things. They got to tell all the people to do something. My guess is hey, the world's about to end. We need to convince all the people to get underground into the cave so that we can survive. Um, that's why they need to address all the people as quickly as possible. 
and Tensu and probably Breeze will go, cool, we got Kelsier's Bones. Let's do Kelsier's Bones. Awesome. Um, but in fact, Sazed is going to realize the people of Urto don't need Kelsier. They need Spook. And so there's going to be a big reversal where Tensoon takes Spook's bones and basically, you know, Spook the entire book has been trying to be the new Kelsier. And now that he's finally learned what that means and what is required of him to do that, um, we're going to have a separate kind of callback to Final Empire in which a Contra takes Spook's bones and shows up to be this new form of the survivor that inspires the people. And that's how they're going to save the people. And Sazed will learn the true meaning of Christmas. And then says it will be the hero of ages for reasons I don't have as many specifics as Sam got. Um, but yeah, that's what I got. Okay. It's exciting to me that we have actually two um, partially overlapping, but different and partially just differently focused predictions going into our final three, uh, final three uh, episodes here. Yeah. I don't, uh, I don't think there's much to do at this point besides begin our uh, our our final Sanderlanch of this trilogy. We've got three episodes to go. I've mentioned it a couple times. Uh, I will say that our first episode of part five, the next one that we're doing, uh, is chapters 59 through 66. The chapter counts are going to be high here. That's the way it goes at the end of a book. <laughs> uh one of those chapters is less than a thousand words long. Nice. As is the custom. <laughs> so, yeah, we've we've got that one still to go. Uh, and then two more after that. And it's, it's interesting the way that we cue these episodes up, because as soon as we turn off the recording here in just a couple of minutes, uh, we will all then begin reading that section. So in terms of what we can kind of think and talk about, it's it's one more ahead so i'm counting ahead to you know now we're going to be reading for episode 11 then we record that one and we get to read episode 12 so we're, we're even closer <laughs> then... than yeah no we're, we're even closer than i i think it it even feels with three episodes to go so i'm excited hate to break it to you but this is not going to be the episode where i say i hate these chapters coming up no it's gonna be cool i'm, I'm looking forward to it. let's go that's going to be an Elantris. That's, that's no, that's in two episodes from now. <laughs> Man, I've been so hyped about this book the whole time, but the ending just didn't land. <laughs> Shit, so bad. No, we've uh, we've got some cool stuff coming up. I think uh, we're going to we're going to start seeing the the big predictions fall one way or the other, which I've I've been looking forward to the whole time. So it's it's going to be quite cool. I think I, w- I will say. It's going to be, for both Sam and I, I think it's going to be hilarious if we get to the end of the book and then Vin really is the hero of ages. There was no, like, that's what it was the entire time and we just were completely off base. Yeah, that one yeah, I think would thing. be would be the, the highest impact of, hang on, we need to reconsider some things here. Because sometimes Brandon telegraphs exactly what's going to happen and sometimes he pretends to and then faints and then... It, mm-hmm. I just, I never know. Yeah, sometimes sometimes he says here's a cool thing that's going to happen. And then it does. Sometimes he says there's a cool thing that might happen and it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's predictable and it's unpredictability. Yeah, even even with just our little bit to go, we've, we've got uh, some, some excitement still to, uh, to, to break down in how our predictions work out. But I think we should uh, wrap up this episode so that 
we can get to those, our readers can get to those if they're, uh, our listeners can get to those if they're reading along with us. Uh, so I will uh, just go to say that uh, all of our episodes are found at alwaysanotherpodcast.com, as well as wherever you prefer to get your podcast feeds. We should be available there. Uh, you can email us at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, for anything that has been discussing things more related to the ending of the book or things that were more spoiler related. Uh, I will definitely be going through and seeing what we can uh, bring up again and chat about as those uh, those start to actually happen. So if you want to look ahead a little bit, that's a place you can do it. Uh, you can also find us on our various social media feeds on Instagram at always another pod, as well as Twitter at always another pod, uh, where we do things like ask if Braille is a language. <laughs> but also we've got some, you know, some cool uh, art and memorabilia and whatnot uh, I recently picked up some very cool looking prints that I think will be making an appearance there either before or after you're listening to this episode. I'm not sure. Uh, but yeah, you can uh, you can check us out there. You can get our next episode when it comes out uh, a week from now as you're listening to this. And we will be moving into the final section of Hero of Ages. So we'll uh, we'll be back with you then. Let us all embrace the ham everlasting. Embrace that. If you, we picture this with an actual like shank of ham, I said what I it said. becomes okay. <laughs> Question rescinded. I'm I'm picturing Travis Willingham as I always am. I would embrace him. He feels like he gives good hugs.